Good morning, church. Today's Bible reading is uh, taken from John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31. And this can be found on page 1536 of your pew Bibles. That's 1,536. John chapter 14, starting from verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will give the Father, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. If these words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, you speak to us through it. So by your spirit this day, we pray, remind us of all that Jesus has said. Amen. Okay, well, uh, my name is Jeffrey Lynn. I'm one of the staff here. We're going to be looking at that passage for the next little while. Can I ask you please to have your Bibles open on page 1536? And also make sure you have one of the handouts that you were given as you came in. On the inside, as usual, there's a reasonably detailed outline. It's a very dense passage today, so the outline's got a bunch of notes there that will help you to follow along. Uh, and as we start, just apologies, I'm getting over a cold, so I'm using this microphone so that if I cough, I won't cough into the handset uh, for once. So, Well, uh, the passage for today is in two parts that you can see from the table on the top left. They're almost exact parallels of each other, as if to emphasise the main point, uh, so we can't miss it. Where we are in John 14 is the Passover meal is almost over. Uh, it's what we call the Last Supper because Jesus is about to go to his death. You can see there that what he's going to do in two sections is firstly tell his disciples what to do, secondly how 
he will help them to do it. And then thirdly, what Jesus himself will do next. And then he'll repeat the whole thing in the second half of the passage. Both parts are actually trying to address the same question. And the question there is at the top left, just above the table. The question is, how do you show someone that you love them? How do you show someone that you love them? Of course, the answer to that question is the subject of endless manuals, how-to guides, songs and poems. If you're not, I'm not going to subject you to any of them today. Uh, but suffice it to say, to show someone that you love them, you need more than just stirring words or good intentions. Ultimately, the way you show you love someone is through your actions. The challenge, of course, in this passage is what if the object of your love is Jesus? How do you show your love for him? And so you can see from the table, thankfully, Jesus tells his disciples what to do. Look at verse 15 of John chapter 14. Verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. And when Jesus says that, that's not meant to sound like a threat. Uh, you know, if you love me, I think clearly presumes that they already do. In many ways, it's actually a sign of Jesus' love for us that he tells us how we can show our love for him. What's interesting in this part of John's account is that Jesus never spells out what those commands actually are. Rather, he focuses on something much more important and more fundamental. He talks about our motivation. And we'll come back to that idea at the end. Well, equally, thankfully, Jesus doesn't just tell his disciples what to do. He doesn't just say, love, uh, keep my commands, only to then lead them to their own devices. That next line in the table, Jesus then helps them to do it. So pick it up with me in verse 16 of John chapter 14. Verse 16. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world can accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Uh, when it comes to keeping his commands as a sign of our love for him, the help that Jesus thinks you and I need is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now, three things we see in this passage, and you'll see them all there on your handout. Firstly, the Spirit comes from the Father. The Spirit comes from the Father. And so Jesus says, I will ask the Father, he will give you the Spirit. When Jesus, the Son of God, asked the Father to send the Spirit, this is what Christians call the doctrine of the Trinity. Doctrine of the Trinity. And it's a big topic, uh, so much so that I'm not going to talk about it today, rather in May, in Term 2 this year, I'm actually going to come back and we'll spend five weeks uh, as a church making our way through a series on the Holy Spirit. So stay tuned for that in May. So the first thing, the Spirit comes from the Father. Secondly, you can see there on your handout, the Spirit is called another advocate. The Spirit is called another advocate. And let me say that the word advocate uh, translates from the original language in the Greek uh, it only ever occurs in John's writings, four times in fact, in these three chapters, 14 through 16, and once in John chapter 2. It doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible. And in fact, there's no exact English equivalent. The words that we have used, you can see they're all printed there on your handout, different translations have used different words. So advocate, obviously, what we've seen today. 
advocate, a sense of a representative, although clearly Jesus has more in mind than just a, a lawyer or a representative or a spokesperson. Some translations uh, use the word counsellor uh, to describe the Holy Spirit, um, uh, which of course is important, although sometimes the word counsellor can make us think that the Holy Spirit is little more than a therapist. Likewise, our older translations, particularly King James Bible, used comforter as the word there. And again, that is certainly one of the things that the Spirit does. He comforts us in trouble, and yet that can sound at times perhaps no more than a soothing, calming voice. Maybe the best word is the word helper, and I say that because we're told in this passage the Spirit will help them. I guess the only downside to helper is that it might make you think that the Spirit, as a helper to Jesus and the Father, is somehow inferior. And that's certainly not the case. What's most interesting is that Jesus talks about another advocate. Another advocate, which of course begs the question, well, who was the first advocate? I think fairly obviously the first advocate is Jesus. Jesus, who has just petitioned the Father on their behalf. He has advocated for them that the Father might send them the Spirit. So the Spirit comes from the Father, is another advocate, and thirdly and finally, he is the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. That, of course, makes perfect sense. He'll be the Spirit of truth if he's going to help them obey Jesus' commands. And Jesus, of course, is the way, the truth, and the life as we saw in John 14. So to summarise, the way in which Jesus will help his disciples to keep the, his commands is that he will petition the Father, who will send them the Spirit, uh, who will help them. And the reason why that's also important is because of what's about to happen to Jesus next. This is the third light on the table, what Jesus will do next. Pick it up with me in verses 18 through 21. John, 18 verses, John 14, verses 18 through 21. Uh, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father. And you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. The reason it's also important, and why Jesus will send them the Spirit, is because he is about to leave them. In fact, he's going to go to his death. Although, verse 19, he will rise again. Verse 19, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. What's particularly interesting is that after his resurrection, Jesus only appears to his disciples. He never appears again in public. Verse, nine, before, verse 19, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. I suspect the fact that he never appears again in public after the resurrection is a foretaste of final judgment Well, the point is, Jesus goes on to say, because I live, you also will live in me. 
is the way, the truth, and the life. And we saw in John 11, actually, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is saying he is the first fruit of a harvest to come. His resurrection is the pattern for our end-time resurrection. And his resurrection also verifies his identity and his deity. Look at verse 20. Verse 20. On that day you will realise that I am in my Father. How reassuring for them to know that they will not be alone throughout this whole ideal because verse 20, you are in me and I am in you. We can see verse 21, Jesus then reiterates what they're to do. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. That sounds almost exactly the same as verse 15, where it all began. If you love me, keep my commands. Before Jesus finishes this section with a really lovely encouragement. Did you notice there in verse 21? Verse 21, the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Now, this is not future, actually. Jesus does love them. He's already shown himself to them. But I think what's lovely about this verse is that it's a reminder that with all the challenges that lie before the disciples, what they need to hear is that Jesus and the Father love them. And I want to say this morning, can you imagine being known for that and identified like that? As someone loved by Jesus, loved by the Father. Imagine introducing yourself when you meet someone, you know. Hi, I'm Jeff, I'm loved by Jesus and loved by the Father. Imagine if you started each day with that simple reminder that we are loved by Jesus and loved by the Father. I think there could be no better motivation to keep his commands as a sign of our love for him than the prior love that Jesus and the Father have already shown us. Because at the end of the day, doing what Jesus says, it's never about trying to earn his favour. Doing what Jesus says is always a grateful response to the love of God, which in fact the whole world has seen. John chapter 3 verse 16, there on your handout. Well, at this point, we're about halfway through the passage. At this point, Judas, in case you're wondering, not Judas Iscariot, he's already gone. The other Judas, uh, he comes back with a pretty fair question. Verse 22, Judas says, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Maybe he's thinking about John 3.16. Does Jesus not want to save all people? Why wouldn't he appear to them? Well, what's really interesting is that Jesus never really answers Judas's question. And so maybe the only reason the question there is there is to remind us of just how little his disciples understood about what was going on. I mean, if you think about it, Peter denies him. Judas Iscariot betrays him. Thomas and Philip, as we saw last week, they doubt him. Instead, in the second half of the passage... Jesus basically just repeats the same three points as before. 
uh, again, he tells his disciples to do something, he tells them how he'll help them to do it, and finally he tells them what he'll do next. Let's just move through those verses relatively quickly. I'll just point out a couple of extra embellishments that Jesus adds in this time. First thing, verses 23 and 24, Jesus again tells his disciples what to do. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Which, of course, sounds almost the same as verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. I think clearly teaching is synonymous with commands. And again, the presumption is the disciples do love him. That's not in, in, that's not in doubt. You see in verse 23, my father will love them. That reaffirms the assurance we saw back in verse 21, that the one who loves me will be loved by my father. And likewise, verse 23, we, that is Jesus and the father, will come to them and make our home with them. Which I take it again is a parallel with verse 17, the spirit of truth will be with you and in you. Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit will all be with the disciples in some way. It's a confirmation that there is no division or disunity in the Godhead. In a sense, the whole Trinity is always involved, all together, all the time. Well, let me just pause and point out that uh, one of the interesting things that happens here, Jesus says, we will make our home with them, verse 23, we will make our home with them. Uh, the word literally there is the word that's translated as room back in the start of chapter 14. Now, where Jesus talks about my father's house with many rooms, here Jesus is saying that he and the father will come and room with them. I take it's a foretaste of what John ultimately sees in Revelation 21 when God fully dwells with his people. It's there on your handout. Isn't that an amazing thought? That Jesus and the Father are coming to room with us. Jesus and the Father are coming to stay. What an honour and what a privilege. And how utterly terrifying. The thought of Jesus moving in. Again, actually, I think it's a great motivation. A motivation to help obey his teaching and keep his commands. The motivation of the constant presence of God, of God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit, with us every day, wherever we go, whatever we do. Be it at school or university or at work, be it at rest or at play, when we're home alone, when no one else is watching, or when we're just out and being swept along by the crowd, Christians are never apart from Jesus. Not if he and the Father have come to us and made their home with us and are rooming with us and have taken up residence in us. Because even if we can't always feel God's presence, Jesus says he's never far away. As I said, that's both an honour and a privilege 
and in a sense utterly terrifying. Knowing that Jesus is with us, I think, either leads us to concern, oh, he's watching over me, or eager anticipation, he is watching over me, which means he sees what I do and I can please him, knowing how much he already loves me. And I wonder which of those two is of more significance for you, concern or anticipation? I wonder how the conviction of knowing that Jesus is with us would affect you today, tomorrow, in this week ahead. Well, after Jesus tells his disciples what to do, the next line of the table, he then reiterates how he will help his disciples to do it how he'll help his disciples to obey his teaching and keep his commands by giving them the Holy Spirit. And now in particular, Jesus explains how the Holy Spirit is going to help them. So pick it up with me in verses 25 through 27. Verses 25 through 7. All this I've spoken with you while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. How is it the Holy Spirit helps Jesus' disciples obey his commands? Well, verse 26. He'll teach you all things and remind you of everything he has said to us. What Jesus is saying is that the role of the Spirit is to point us to Jesus and to remind us of what Jesus said. I mean, if you think about it, how else will we ever keep Jesus' commands? How else will we ever obey Jesus' teaching if we can't remember his instructions? So that's what the Holy Spirit does. He reminds us of what Jesus said. Well, to put it slightly differently and to use language that I often hear in Christian circles... The Spirit never has a new word for our times. The Spirit never acts independently to Jesus. And the Spirit never acts at cross-purposes with Jesus because Jesus and the Spirit are always in full alignment. They're in complete agreement. If you think that you are hearing a new word from the Spirit, that according to Jesus, one thing for certain is that it's not the Spirit speaking. Because according to Jesus, the Spirit is always in the background. He never draws attention to himself. He actually directs our gaze to another, to Jesus. Now, here's the best way to make this point. Uh, it's with an illustration, and quite literally an illustration. There's a picture on the screen behind me. You can see the floodlight that's illuminating a church. Now, without sounding crass, the Holy Spirit is like the floodlight, and the building is like Jesus. No one ever has a great fascination with the spotlight 
oh, tell me more about the spotlight. I want to know more about the spotlight. How does the spotlight work? What's so great about the spotlight? No, the point of the spotlight is to direct our gaze to another. The spirit, you might say, says, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Now, I realise that I'm only just touching on the edge of something that's quite significant. Um, and the way in which, uh, as we've been doing over the last year or so, the way in which as a church we're trying to give people opportunity to dig deeper here um, is to come along to our deep dive nights. Uh, you'll see there's a reference to that on your handout, but also these little brochures should be in front of you on the seats there. Once a term, we run a deep dive night. Uh, they're an opportunity to try and dig deeper into a, one aspect of theology. This term, in a few weeks' time, uh, actually David Wright, who is a member of our 9am gathering, long-term member of this church, a lecturer at Bible College of South Australia, he's going to be talking to us about the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you'd like to hear more about his role, the Spirit's role, then come along to that. But for now, can I say, this is how the Spirit helps us. He reminds us of what Jesus said and did. And actually, verse 27, you might have noticed there, it promises that if we listen to the Spirit as he reminds us of Jesus' words, the result is his peace. His peace. Isn't that remarkable? Given all that Jesus is about to endure as he goes to the cross the very next day, what he's concerned about at this moment is for his disciples that they might have peace, that their hearts be not troubled and that they need not be afraid. Well, in the last few verses of the passage, verses 28 through 20, 31, Jesus, having told his disciples what to do and how he will help them, thirdly and finally, he repeats what he's about to do next. Uh, that is, after Judas Iscariot betrays him and Simon Peter denies him and all the rest of them abandon him. Look with me one last time at the passage, verses 28 through 31. Jesus said, You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe. I'll not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So come now, let us leave. Once again, Jesus talks about going away. I think he's referring to his death. And he talks about coming back to them. I think that's a reference to his resurrection. But this time he adds, and he is going to the Father, which I think is a reference to his ascension to the Father's right hand. And in fact, all three episodes you can see are printed there on your handout in that little timeline. I suppose that although the whole process seems troubling, what Jesus wants to emphasise is that he is going home to the Father who, verse 28, the Father who is greater than I. Jesus says the Father is greater than I. Again, I said we'd talk about the Trinity in May, so we'll come back to it then. But to be clear, when Jesus says the Father is greater than I, he's not implying that somehow Jesus is lesser or inferior or subordinate. 
Uh, we know that actually from back in John chapter 5, verse 18, that I printed there on your handout. We saw this last week. Jesus knows that he is equal with God. Rather, I think what Jesus is doing is that he's saying to his disciples, who are terribly worried about what's going to happen next, he's actually saying that, look guys, instead of worrying about what's going to happen, rejoice. Rejoice that as your teacher and Lord returns home in glory to the right hand of the Father, he'll declare that his mission is accomplished. Yes, they will see him no more, but their loss will be to his gain. Of course, the pathway lies through death, resurrection and ascension, and it won't be easy by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Jesus points out that the prince of this world is still around. That can't be good. But Jesus also insists, Satan will not succeed. Verse 30. He has no hold over me. And the end result, verse 31, is that the world may learn that Jesus loves the Father and does exactly what his Father commanded him. Jesus loves the Father and does exactly what his Father commanded him. Do you notice how Jesus finishes the passage? He finishes it by reminding us that Jesus perfectly practices what he preaches. Jesus perfectly practices what he preaches. He's just told his disciples to keep his commands because they love him. And in the same way, Jesus himself obeys his father's commands because Jesus loves him. Jesus is, once again, the example for us to follow. And so the section finishes, come now, let us leave. The Passover meal is over. And off they head. Well, so what for us? What does it all mean for us today? Let me just say one or two very brief things to conclude. In John 14, in the second half, Jesus says three things. You'll see them on the screen behind me. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. He doesn't actually spell out what those commands are, but what he does do is discuss motive. And why we ought to live in a particular way. Why? Because we love him. We keep his commands because we love him. Not to earn his favour or to prove our love, but because we already do. If you love me, keep my commands. Secondly, Jesus says, the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Again, what motivates our obedience is that Jesus and the Father have already shown us their love in the first place. And yet it's awfully hard. So the third thing Jesus says is, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, to teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus arranges for the Spirit to help us so we're not left to our own devices. And according to Jesus, that's all we need. According to Jesus, that's all we need. Which means, 
And I want to say this today. When you find it really hard to keep Jesus' commands, even though you really want to, Jesus says, take heart. Take heart in the fact that the Father helps us by his Spirit, that the Father, Son and Spirit are with us and in us, and in the fact that God really does love us. Which means we know God has not given up on us. Even if it can feel that way at times. I suppose if I can put it this way, if Jesus will go to such lengths to help us, to ask the Father to send the Spirit to lay down his life for us, we know he's going to finish the job. Because according to Jesus, that's all we need. The knowledge that, in a sense, the burden to keep his commands does not ultimately rest on us, though we long to. Rather, the grounds of our assurance rests in our conviction that God is not giving up on us. What does that mean for us? Well, it means I'm saying today not work harder. I'm saying, thank God he is at work in us. In a moment, we're going to sing. I'm going to pray for us. You'll see down at the bottom that there was a discussion question there that if we'd had more time, I would have got you to share with each other, but perhaps you might like to talk about uh, afterwards or on your way home today. And just a heads up that, uh, as I alluded to a couple of weeks ago, next Sunday, uh, we're going to... Start with John 15, but step more broadly out of the passage uh, to ask a bigger question that I think lies behind much of these three chapters that we're in, 14 through 16, and that's the question of can a Christian fall away? I flagged this a couple of weeks ago. We'll come back to that and do that next Sunday. So let me pray, and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection, and the giving of your spirit to remind us of all that he has said and done. We pray that you might help us to have our eyes fixed firmly on him in this week ahead. And we thank you that you will bring to completion those good works that you have already begun in us. Amen.